you ever think about the first time, those of you who are like me, who wear contacts or glasses, the very first time you get glasses, and you put them on your face and you go, I can see. And you put them on and you take them off and you put them on and you take them off. You put the glasses on for the first time and you can see clearly. And it's incredible because you never want to go back. In fact, now that I've been wearing glasses since I was 17 years old, my eyes haven't got that much worse, but I never ever want to go back not wearing glasses. In fact, I got my driver's license not having to wear glasses. And then I got them uh, in my first year of driving. I put them on and went, oh, (laughs) that's what it looks like. I, I can see the sign so clearly. I never want to go back to being, in a sense, blind again. And in a similar way with your life and my life, we want to see the things of God, the things that God presents to us in the Bible. We want to see them clearly. We want to understand them. There's no use going through the motions year after year, literally decade after decade, and going, yes, it's just so difficult. I don't understand this. And you remain, in a sense, blinded. We want to be able to see. Not just see, we want to see clearly. The the goal for today is that every person will see clearly that, that God is, first of all, He's holy and He's righteous. And that we will understand our need of Jesus. And we'll be able to appreciate His working in our life. We will no longer remain blinded, or another way of saying it is just ignorant because we just don't know. That's another thing. You put glasses on and you realize all the things that I didn't see. And all of you, oh, I thought they were just marks. Those are wrinkles. And you begin to see all the things that you you didn't see before. And the the foundation of this this series called Foundations is to build upon the truth of the Word of God so that we will have a strong foundation with which to build our lives. Jesus tells the story of a wise man building his house on a rock. And he calls it a foolish man who builds it on the sand. I want to be a wise man. And I doubt that any of you want to say, well, I really want to be unwise. I really want to be foolish. Don't raise your hand because you'll look like a fool. You don't want to be foolish. You want to be wise. We want to base ourselves and the tr- upon the truth of the Word of God. Over the course of the series, we've uh, had a, uh, gone through a number of different attributes of God. And they're on the screen for you, different attributes. There's a list of them. And we're going to be looking at just two of them this morning, which is holiness and righteous. The fact that God is holy and He is righteous. Our principle for today is this. My life is built on the firm foundation of a holy God's love through Jesus. If you think about it, that's actually the whole reason why we meet together. We have a variety of backgrounds. We have a variety of of different income levels. We have a variety of different educations. We certainly have a variety of different people born in different countries. What unifies us together is not the fact that we all like the same thing. Because you don't all like the West Coast Eagles, right? Even though they pulled off an incredible win yesterday. No, you don't. It's not just that you like that one thing. It is what brings us together is, according to this, is that we have a holy God's love through Jesus. And that breaks down all those barriers and it unites us together. So this morning, we're going to be looking through four different words. We're going to define the words 
And also, as we go through these four different words, I'm going to give you a visual illustration. I'm going to actually do something that I have never done before. I'm going to go way back to a thing called paper and use paper as an example for you as a visual aid. So I have my lovely assistant. First of all, we have the fact that God is a holy God. I know, I'm gone really, really modern here with paper. Can you see it over there? God is holy. We have a holy God. So let's open up our Bibles. Give your Bibles. And we're going to be flipping through a number of scriptures. You may not be able to keep up with all of them, but eventually we're going to get to Romans chapter number three and walk through that. So the first point this morning is the fact that God is holy. God is holy. The definition of this is this. God is holy. He is inerrant in absolute greatness. This is a theological style definition in which he is perfectly distinct above everything outside himself and absolutely morally separate from sin. Ultimately, if you think about holy, the word separate is the word that helps describe holy. God is holy. He is separate from mankind. We sang this morning about the fact that God is holy. And oftentimes in our lives, we like to bring down things that are set apart and bring them down to things that are seemingly normal. An incomplete example, but certainly an example that I think is relative, is Her Majesty the Queen. She is certainly separate. But you notice people, when they talk about the Queen, they often talk about her in a seemingly disrespectful way until they're in her presence. But when they're, they're comedians and they stand up, yeah, I talked with the queen or I did this and I make fun of Prince Charles and make fun of the other royalty. But when they're in their presence, it's amazing how they become incredibly firm and proper and they do what they're supposed to do. In a similar way with God, we go through the motions and think, oh, just God, he's my friend, he's my buddy, and he's my father. Yes, absolutely, he's my friend. He is, our, uh, he is my father, but he's also a holy God who is separate from us. We see in Scripture in the book of Exodus, chapter number 15, it says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And Moses, when he writes that, he is, he's just, they've just gone through the Red Sea, and the, the children of Israel have just gone through the Red Sea, and they are singing the, you know, the Lord is glorious, he's triumphant, glorious, and part of that song is the fact that he is holy, majestic in holiness. The prophet Isaiah had a vision of heaven, and in this vision of heaven, he saw in Isaiah 6.3, holy, 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 where the angels were singing this song, holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now honestly, we look at that and go, that's nice. I think if we were there, we'd be down on our faces before a holy and a majestic God full of his glory, and we would not be able to look upon him. We often make things that are high very, very common. I want you to stop for a moment and think, if God truly is the holy God, that he is separate, and he is distinct, and he's separate from a couple of things. One is, he is separate from sin. In Psalm 5, Verse 4, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. 
God is totally separate from sin. I'm going to go through this first part quite quickly because I'm going to get to, the, to the, the crux of the message. So I'm going to get through this foundation quick. First of all, he's separate from sin, but he's also he's separate from mankind. The book of Isaiah talks about that he is separate from everyone in Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. It says there that he inhabits eternity. You and I, we see life just the tiny little sliver of our lives. And God sees it in eternity from the beginning and the end. He doesn't see it like we do in our tiny little narrow mind. He sees it in every aspect immediately at the same time. Now, be honest with you, I do not understand that. In the past weeks, we've talked about the fact that God is all-knowing. And we've also talked about the fact that God is all-powerful. And I did those two messages first because there's no use talking about a distinct and separate holy God if we don't first understand that God is incredibly powerful. He is all-knowing. He has the capability of knowing everything at the same time and still being holy or distinct from it. He's separate from mankind. We see that that, this attribute distinguishes him from his creation. And the incredible thing is that with God being holy and being separate, he still wants a relationship with us. I want you to keep that in your mind. God is separate, but he still wants a relationship. The next attribute that we see is, if you can probably guess it, is the fact that God is righteous. Thank you, lovely assistant. God is also righteous and incredible modern technology you can do with a piece of paper and a pen. And with God being righteous, righteous is a word that means that he is perfect and absolute justice in and towards himself. Now, honestly, that's a theological style definition. What does that actually mean? It means that he is absolutely just in every aspect of his life. And I guess a simplistic way of saying it is that he is right and he always does right. And people often think they try to outsmart themselves and they think, well, if God can do everything, could it possibly be that God could create something that God couldn't do? And that's just called circular reasoning. And if you can't sleep at night, think about that and it'll put you to sleep in seconds. What we see here is that, as it says in Psalm 11, 7, the Lord is righteous. And it's all capitals there. It's not just anybody is righteous. It is Jehovah God. He is righteous. He is absolutely perfect in his justice towards himself. And a good way to describe it is that God knows exactly what a straight line is. An example I like to use about, about knowing things that are straight is that I think things are straight when you look at it, until, but when you have nothing to compare it to, things often look straight. But then when you know something is straight and something is not crooked and is perfectly in line, and then you see that your line is not nearly as straight afterwards because you know what is absolutely true. And when we look at God's righteousness and the righteous God, it doesn't bring us to the point of saying, aren't we something? It brings us to the understanding that we need to go back to being straight like God is. I want this to be distinct because God is holy, God is righteous. But in the book of Romans, it's written by a man named the Apostle Paul. 
And the Apostle Paul, in, in writing the book of Romans, he is a religious leader. He's a Pharisee, and as a Pharisee, he would have studied the law. And as a person that would have grown up, studied the law, and in fact, he went to, a, you know, he sat at the feet of a guy named Gamaliel, which means absolutely nothing to us, but it was very impressive at the time. He went to a very a preppy school, and he had a great education. He learned the law. He would have memorized at least the first five books of the Bible, probably the majority of the Psalms. He knew the Scriptures. He knew the law. And when he was writing the book of Romans, he was writing to help them understand, and really you and I understand, that we are guilty. So he's writing as if a lawyer is writing a, an argument before a judge. And the first three chapters, if you stop reading in the, in the end of the first three chapters, it leaves you very hopeless. So let me encourage you, at least read to chapter 4 or 5 or 6 or 7, because otherwise you go, oh no, we are stuck. We are in trouble. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, there's a number of other passages, but let's look at this first of all. If you have your Bibles, open it up. We're going to get to chapter number 3 in a few moments' time. I want to start off here. And it says this in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. In other words, God has plainly shown. We talk about being clear and seeing things clearly. God has said, I have made it very clear to mankind of who I am and my plan and purpose for life. Verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Hypothetically speaking, naturally, if you're driving down the road and there's a policeman behind you and you are know that you're speeding and the lights go on, I mean, it's never happened to any of you, I'm sure. But hypothetically speaking, what do you feel? Do you feel a sense of instant, ugh? That's called guilt. Ugh. That instant Oh, no. And you start thinking through in your mind, how am I going to get out of this? And you start blaming things like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Obviously, it's the radar that's the mistake, not my, my, not my speedometer or not my lead foot. And you begin thinking through, and instantly you go, oh, no. What am I going to do? And that's for our next point. Our third point this morning is the fact that mankind has sin. And I, I don't want to make fun or be silly, and I hope you can read that, but mankind, we do wrong. We sin. And the Bible says there, without excuse. In Romans 3.23, turn over the passage of Romans chapter 3. It says, for all have sinned, what does it say there? Fall short of the glory of God. In His glory, He is separate. And because of mankind in our sin, we are separated from God because of that. And it's not something to be, be proud of. Going back to the illustration of being pulled over, on the other side, when you've been pulled over and you know that you've done nothing wrong, I actually have a real story about this. 
I have a motorcycle because that's what cool pastors do. And I, and I was riding down on a Sunday afternoon with my daughter on the back. So knowing I had my daughter on the back, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I pulled around on the highway and a, a police car pulled up behind me and followed me for about a kilometer. And you know they're going to pull you over when they follow you that long. And the lights came on. I pulled over and my daughter taps me on the shoulder. What's wrong, Dad? And I, pulled, I said, nothing's wrong. Cool, calm, collected father. And he pulled me over and he said, we're just doing a license check. And they did a breath test, which is perfectly fine. When you don't drink, you don't have to worry about uh, breath tests. And, and then I said I, wasn't, he said, I wasn't speeding. Yes, I had the correct license for the motorcycle I was riding. No problem at all. Have a very good day, Mr. Nelson. Enjoy your ride. And they went in the car and they roared off. In fact, they were speeding when they roared off. <laughs> but you know what's interesting? All along, I knew that I wasn't guilty. So therefore, standing in front of the policeman, and they were nice men, and I totally, I mean this sincerely, totally respect them, is that I wasn't guilty. I wasn't worried a bit. You ever pulled up to a, one of the random breath test places? I've never had to worry about it. I've never felt like, uh-oh, what, what have I been doing? Never. Because when you're not guilty, you don't worry about things. But... When you know you are guilty, you begin to make a bunch of really, really seemingly good excuses that are wrong. But this happened, this happened, and if you want a good illustration, just think of your children. As soon as they get in trouble for something, you notice they instantly blame somebody else. It was the other sibling, you know, the other child you provided me. Yeah, the other one. No, it is us that are guilty. And you've noticed we are separated from God as a result. And the hard part is that it doesn't matter who you are. We have all sinned. Romans 3.23 again, it says, for all have sinned. And as good as you are, we are all sinful. We've all done wrong. Now, if you try to compare yourself to other people, that's one thing, but it's not the standard. The standard is the fact that God is perfectly righteous. He is straight. He knows what is right. And any variance from that is sin. A good definition of sin, a good working definition of sin is missing the mark. If you've ever thrown a dart at a dartboard and claimed to get a bullseye when it didn't hit the bullseye, you go, but yes, but it was so close. That's missing the mark. And if you're anything like me, you, you hit, if you just hit any of the board at all, it's a win. But you, you throw it instantly, it's the bullseye is the bullseye. You can't claim a bullseye if you didn't hit the bullseye. And you and I, because we have quite literally missed the mark of perfection, therefore we have always missed the mark. And we have a serious problem before us. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse number 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Now this is foundational to our lives. To be honest with you, this is not the most fun message to share, but it's incredibly powerful. And at the end, we have some good news at the end, I promise you. Because knowing that we are separated is knowing what the foundation upon which we need to build. If we're building upon our sin in our lives and going through the motions year after year, remaining in our sin, we're building our lives on a sandy or a not a firm foundation. We need to go back and see what the Scripture says. Back to chapter number 1, verse number 20, it says, 
so they are without excuse. Going back to chapter 3, verses 21 and 26, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This morning, I want to spend the majority of the time, in fact, it's not going to be that much time, but we're going to go through and talk about the good news. So therefore, just to rehash, we have a God who is holy. By definition, it means he is separate. We have a God who is righteous. By definition, it means that he is just and he does what is right and what is just or justice all the time. We are separated from God because of sin. We need something to bridge that gap, to bring us together. And my lovely assistant will bring up the next. I couldn't fit the whole word on, so I brought it small on the bottom, but it is justify. And the theological term is justification. And that sounds like a big word, but it basically means to be declared righteous. So God had to do something in order to bridge the gap between mankind and himself. And he had to do it, of course, through the person of Jesus Christ. And that act is called the justification. It is an act. It is not, it's not that you are halfway with God. Either you are or you're not. And the beauty of this is, is laid out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21, where it says, For his sake, that is, for God's sake, he made him, that is, Jesus Christ. For for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How can you and I, because of our sin, because of our sin, become right? in a right standing with God. And this is where we need to be justified by God. And this is where it's beautiful. In Romans chapter number 3, at the end of the chapter, after he lays out the indictment, after he lays out the fact that we are all sinners, after Paul says that we have literally no hope in the law, in other words, you cannot follow the law and be good enough because the law simply shows that we have done wrong, then he begins to transition. And the transition is the beginning point of something beautiful. And in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 25, we're going to basically walk through this passage together for a few moments, explaining justification. So first of all, the question is, how could I be declared righteous before a holy, separate God? First of all, it is through faith in Jesus. We're going to straight back to the Scripture and see what the Scripture says. The Scripture says in Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God through faith. Now, faith is all well and good, but faith is only as good as the object that it is put in. You have a great deal of faith when you drive down the road and you pull through an intersection and there's someone else driving towards the intersection. You have faith and hope that they will stop. When you sat down in your chair, you sat down in the chair with a great deal of faith because if you would have fallen, we would not have laughed at you. We would have smirked. We wouldn't have laughed. You, you have faith or the seat that you sat in. But faith is only as good as the object 
that it is in. We are to have faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who the creator of the universe, as, as it says in, in the book of John, the fact that He is the only begotten of the Father. First of all, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. How can I be declared righteous? Not just through faith, but it also, it isn't just for me, it is for all people. That's the second point there. It is for all people. Continuing on in that verse 22 through verse 23, it says, For there is no distinction. Now this is a real critical point. In the beginning, I brought out the point, the fact that we are from a variety of backgrounds. Many of you would have absolutely nothing in common but for Jesus Christ. And here it says that you have no distinction. It is not the fact that you have to look a certain way or be a certain way. It is the fact that everybody needs Jesus Christ. It says in verse 23, as it continues on, for all have sinned and fall short of his glory. And the, the incredible thing here is that it breaks down a lot of barriers. Knowing that Jesus Christ and his love and his justification that he gives us isn't just for me and people like me. We spoke of our missionaries in Vanuatu. Quite honestly, there are people in Vanuatu that are probably as distant from you and I and the way that we have been raised and the way that we live our lives as you can possibly get on earth. I've told the stories in the past where there's a, some of the, the pastors in their, their churches, in, in the village churches, their grandparents were cannibals. And when they go into these villages, there's no electricity, there's, there's no running water, there's no sanitation. They live in huts, totally distinct from anything outside of the Western world. And what do you and I have in common with them? We sin, we do wrong, and we need the same Savior. And the incredible thing is this morning, on a Sunday morning, several hours ago, because it's earlier there in Vanuatu, there was people in Vanuatu wearing grass skirts, wearing things that would be, please, please put clothes on when you come to church, worshiping the same God that you worship today. And the same God that loves them, that died on the cross for them, is the same God that died on the cross and loves you. And it breaks down those racial barriers, doesn't it? And the fact that God says, I love you. Even the person you like and the person that you really don't like very much, God still loves them. And there's no distinction there. So first of all, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. How can I be declared righteous? Through faith in Jesus Christ. It is for absolutely everybody. You are not the exception. It's also, it says there, only by grace. The third point there is only by grace. In verse number 24, it says, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Now the beautiful thing there is, Paul says volumes of things within, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine words. He says incredible things. He says justified, His, as in from who? From God. He says grace, and it also says gift. Incredible. You can write an entire book. And I'm not going to give you the whole sermon right now. But the whole book, based upon that one verse and the incredible truth that, that j jumps out there. But it's only through God's grace. A good way to describe grace is the fact that you receive something that you do not deserve. You receive God's favor when you do not deserve it. 
That is the fact that he came to justify us. The fourth is the fact that it was very costly. It cost God and Jesus Christ incredibly. It cost him his life. Now, to be honest with you, we talk about this every single Sunday. In some regard, we talk about the fact that God loves us. He died on the cross. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. He talk, we talk about the fact that he has a plan and a purpose. But I want you to see this clearly today. That's the whole reason why I use the illustration with the glasses. We want to see clearly. We don't just want to see it like, oh, yes, I've always known that. I want to be able to visualize it and realize what is actually at stake. We have a God who is separate from us who it cost him a great deal to come to mankind. And it says in verses 24 and 25, and are justified by his grace as a gift. How? It says, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation. You've got to say that word fast, otherwise you mispronounce it. Propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. There are three words I want to go through there very quickly. The first one is propitiation. Propitiation means to appease by a gift. Dwayne already mentioned that it's his anniversary. When Valerie came in this morning, she said, We made it to 23 years, as if it's been a struggle. And yesterday, he bought her flowers. Interesting. He bought them the day before. Do they technically count as anniversary flowers when they're bought the day before? I think he was buying them to appease his wife and saying, please forgive me for whatever he had done. <laughs> Have you ever done that? When you ever bought flowers for your, your spouse? Please forgive me. Now, in a, in a way, that, that's, that's the understanding, but it's more than just God bought us flowers here or we can do something on our behalf. It is the fact that Jesus Christ himself is the gift. He is the death on the cross is the gift of that was to appease or the propitiation. And it's something that it says in verse 25, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood. First John chapter number two, verse two also talks about that and, and, and explains, explains it as well. But moving on from that, we don't just have the appeasement. We also have how it, the, the appeasement came about. In that same passage, it says there that it was propitiation by his blood. Now, we have some Texans here today. And my father-in-law was from Texas, and he had lots of guns, and we would go hunting, because you couldn't call it hunting, you had to hunting. And we, one of the things, that I don't mean to be gross, but this is kind of a gross story, so boys, you can lean forward on this one. He took me hunt, hunting, we were in Mississippi, and we went hunting in Mississippi, and I shot a pretty good-sized deer, and I have some pictures to prove it. And we ate it, so it wasn't cruel, and it was delicious. One of the things that they do as a southern redneck ceremony, and I can only call it that, is that after you, when you shoot your first deer, they do a thing called blooding, and which is gross. And they take the blood of the deer and they go across your face. And I was warned that it was going to happen, so I was manning up. And I was all the way through, and the guy thought he got me, and he got me all the way down my shirt and all the way down the front, and it was kind of gross. 
And then, you know what's amazing is I had blood all over my face, and I, I kind of wiped that up, but I still had it all over my clothes. And then we went to an all-you-need pizza place, and not one person blinked an eye. And so that's called Mississippi. And the incredible thing is the blood, it's, it's, it's kind of gross. And it's dirty. And you think, I mean, honestly, now it's been done to me. I don't have to worry about it. But if you better watch out if you shoot a deer. And it's not something I particularly liked. I mean, seeing all that processing of the, of the deer, it wasn't something I particularly enjoyed. But when I think about blood, I don't get queasy when I think about Jesus. I think gratitude. And I think, thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you for the blood. To be honest with you, blood is kind of gross. It's dirty. I don't want blood on my clothes. But this blood is beautiful blood that washes us white and washes us clean. It says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, this is a beautiful picture. And Jesus Christ came, the scripture says, to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill the ceremonies and the different processes that the Israelites would go through. The thing called the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement was the one day out of the year when the high priest and all the other priests that were involved in the ceremony would ceremoniously have themselves cleansed and be declared holy. In other words, they became separate. And what they would do, they would use holy separate implements in the process. And they would go into the Holy of Holies on this one day. But in order to go into the Holy of Holies, they would have two goats. Have you ever heard the phrase scapegoat? This is where this came from. And they would have two goats, equally pure and clean, and they were exactly the way that the, the Scriptures specify. And they would have two goats there, and they would choose at random one of the goats to be the sacrificial goat. And they would take that goat and they, the, the priest would lay his hand or head upon that goat and they would sacrifice it and they would take the blood of that, that goat and they take it into the holy place and pass the holy place, pass the large curtain into the holy of holies. And on, upon the holy of holies was the mercy seat of God which contained the Ten Commandments, the law of God. And it would, they would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat which would represent the covering of the, by the blood of God for one year of the sins of the people. Then he would go out and he would place his hand or his hands upon the other goat that had survived and he would confess the sins of the nation of Israel for one year. And then a person who had also ceremoniously cleansed themselves would take that goat out into the wilderness somewhere and let it go. And we have the understanding of that when we look at Scripture that says that God has taken our sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. He's taken them and scattered them. He's allowed this goat, the sins of this goat, and they're gone, and we're never going to see this goat again. It's gone. When Jesus was on the cross, right before his death, he cried out, as it records in John chapter number 19, verse 30, it says, Jesus cried out, It is is finished. And it says, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus had shed his blood, he gave up his spirit. And in fact, he, he died on the cross for you and for me. And the beautiful part of that is, the blood, to be honest with you, it's, it's ugh. But it's beautiful when you look at what it's done for us. Because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, 
He has now redeemed us. That's the third word. That scripture says that through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, through the redemption that we can only find through Jesus Christ, the word redemption literally means to purchase. To go into a shop, you redeem it. If you walk out without paying, it's called stealing. And when you pay for it, you redeem it or you buy it, that item, and then you can leave with it. That's the understanding of what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross. When he shed his blood, he made the final and ultimate payment for your sin and for my sin so that we can experience justification. So we can experience the fact that we have had received the gift to be declared righteous. Now we have a new declaration, a new title. No longer are we declared to be sinners, although we still sin. Continue reading in the book of Romans. Paul addresses that. In fact, he asks the question, should we just keep on sinning so that we can sh- show how, much, how gracious God is? And he goes and says, God forbid. Words, because I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, I don't want to do things that disappoint him. I want to now live for him. I want to continue to grow in my relationship with him. But it's that justification that has brought us before God. So now no longer does he see us as the person that you are. The culmination of all your sins. Oftentimes when you think of ourselves, we think about all the failures that we've, we've, we've had, all the mistakes that we've made, all the sins that we have committed. Now he sees us as we've been declared righteous. We've been declared righteous not because of our good works, but because of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that clearly because this is absolutely foundational. It says in John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through Him. For you and I, as we go out this week, what are we supposed to do with this? We go, well, that was interesting, or that was nice, or that was boring. What we go is, we, we, I want you to process this as you go out this week. As you begin to think about your relationship with God, the fact that He is holy, He is distinct, He's separate from us. His righteousness knows what is absolutely true, what is right. We are separated from Him, and the only way we can be with God and have a relationship with Him is through His justification, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to see things more clearly. And I hope, as silly as the illustration and as a visual illustration as this is, I want you to see it absolutely clear. Because as it says in Romans chapter number 1, verses 16 and 17, we now have some power that we get to enjoy. And it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Remember we talked about the fact that it's for everybody? For the Jew first and also the Greek. And you can put your nationality in there too. Verse 17, For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You and I can have the righteousness of God be declared righteous only by faith. Let me encourage you today. Maybe today is a day that you yet to place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior. In a real way, you're yet to receive that gift, that propitiation that He has given for you. You've yet to receive it. And He has it there, bought, paid for, delivered, waiting for you to receive. And you can only receive it, not through your good works, but only through, as it says in the Scripture there, by faith. 
because as the principle for today is this, my life is built on a firm foundation of a holy God's love through Jesus. This morning, I'm going to close with just one question. And it's a very simple question, but I hope it molds in your mind this week and it is a help to you as, you as you see clearly the things of God this week. It says this, in what ways do you think God wants you to respond? In the angels in heaven with the holiness of God, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. They worship God and they praise God. Maybe you want to praise God today and say, thank you, God, for the salvation you've given to me. Maybe you want to say, thank you, God, for the gift that you've given to me. I want to receive it for the very first time today. Now, today, I often pray and thank God for my salvation. I don't pray and thank, ask God to re-save me. I pray and thank God for saving me. I think that's something we should do every single day. And also, another thing is, maybe God's telling you today, this is exactly what my family needs. They need what I have. I've been justified. I've been declared righteous. and I need to go out and tell others about them. And I believe if you begin to look for others, others will jump out. And opportunities will, will jump before you to be an encouragement. Tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. 